What's up guys? Thanks for coming back to Lockdown Universe. Just wanted to let you guys know that Anchor now is allowing you to become part of the Lockdown Universe experience by uh, part becoming part of the subscription. We're only charging $1.99 currently and we want you to be part of the experience. We're going to offer unheard of whistleblower testimony as well as government insider information as well as folks who have undergone hypnotic regression and told us their story so please tune into that if you are interested for deeper cuts and deeper information please consider being part of the subscription it's only a dollar 99 and it's definitely worth it so join in let's get to the show Hello and welcome to Lockdown Universe. We have come back with a great episode uh, today. A very interesting episode about a crashed UFO ship in Peru uh, in 1997. And I will discuss uh, Mr. Jonathan Weygant. W-E-Y-G-A-N-D-T. Who was a Lance Corporal. In the Marine Corps. And I'll tell you a little bit about his history and how he got to see uh, and encounter this uh, crashed UFO ship uh, in uh, the Peruvian uh, mountains. So Jonathan Wagant uh, was a Lance Corporal in the U.S. Marine Corps. He entered on a delayed entry program when you're a youth, you're allowed to enter in your junior year and go to boot camp and uh, get a head start. Uh, so he, de- he entered on the delayed entry program in July of 1994, and he graduated uh, Salem, North Carolina, June 1995. So he went to boot camp and graduated boot camp on September 8, 1995. He entered the boot camp in Ju- on June 18th. So it took him a few months to graduate boot camp, as we know. He His MOS was an O311, which he describes as being a grunt, which if you're in the Marine Corps, most of us know that you're a grunt and you also have another job. So... You're always a badass, no matter what, but you always have another job. Even the cook is basically a trained killer. Even the janitor can kill people, right? It's just, yeah, Marines are all badasses. It's just what job you actually have. So <clears throat> so he did a little bit of, of everything. He did some laser operations, did some security on laser operations, and um, did his infantry training at Camp Geiger, he describes. Uh, he got injured, he got a back injury, which delayed his uh, ability to go out in full missions uh, for a couple months, but then he was able to go out on ops. And in 1997, uh, he was shipped out to Peru in March 1997. <clears throat> this installation he described was, well, described to him as being a radar installation uh, where they monitored drug traffic. Uh, Apparently they were having a lot of drug trafficking issues in the Peruvian area, and that, quote-unquote, was the reason for this radar installation. Now, 
if you have any UFO history experience, you've done any investigation, um, any in-depth investigation, you're going to find out that our radar technology actually causes problems for UFO ships. It's been recorded that uh, the crash in Roswell was actually caused due to our radar interference during that time, and two ships crashed into each other uh, in Aztec, New Mexico, and then, of course, Roswell, New Mexico. So this radar installation is where Mr. Jonathan Wagant, uh, Corporal Wagant, was sent. He described it as being camouflaged uh, with camouflage netting. The whole base was underground. He stated that the base underground was actually kind of like Star Trek in a way. Or, um, he described it as Star Wars uh, and said that he uh, everything was air-conditioned, everything was perfect, clean underneath ground, uh, living quarters. Uh, so it was basically like having a standard base above ground, just underneath ground. Um, so he, re he reported they did live ammunition uh, exercises. Uh, down uh, at this Peruvian base and one day when he was on security detail uh, at midnight his sergeant Sergeant Allen and another sergeant Atkinson as well as a staff sergeant Montalegra came to him and stated that there was a situation with a downed aircraft and that they needed to secure the site and it was about a six-hour drive to the crash site to, so to load up and get prepared. So they loaded up five to six Humvees full of Marines and, and went down to this location. He was informed that the craft would possibly be friendly, so to take precautions uh, appropriately. So as they approached the UFO crash, or well, he didn't know it was a UFO crash, uh, the ship crash, <clears throat> that uh, he described the area as having a huge gash in the field, as clearly as something had crashed in the area. Everything had been burned as though it was cut with a hot knife through butter, Right. Uh, it, it not like it was trimmed with any chainsaws or you know any type of human equipment, but that it had been like scorched, scorched cut, and um, like an energy beam had gone through uh, these trees and through the ground. Um, so they hadn't actually seen the craft yet; they just saw that these crashed areas that it had hit. <coughs> uh, Mr. Wagant reported that he and two others, uh, the two sergeants that uh, we discussed earlier, uh, Sergeant Allen and Atkinson, were with him. So the three of them were together, and he was uh, in front of the two sergeants. And the, the trio of them were about 10 to 20 meters ahead of everyone else. And he was in the front, first on the scene. 
once they came upon the scene, they saw about a 200-foot ridge of what he reported was solid granite and that the aircraft was buried in the side of the cliff. And so they had to go up the side of the cliff to get a better look at the ship and to see what was going on. Um, he reported that it was a huge ship, nothing like he had ever seen before, not even in the sci-fi movies. Uh, he said this ship resembled nothing like he was taught in uh, his schooling, uh, which was extensive. Um, and he reported that the ship did not crash front end in or back end in, however, crashed in sideways, almost as though it had T-boned sideways into the mountain so he could see the craft on a side uh, sideways angle. Half of the craft had crashed into the mountain and was not visible from his point of view. Half of the craft was outside and was able to be seen from his point of view. He reported that the ship had was dripping a syrupy, purplish-greenish color of liquid. He reported that it had a syrupy viscosity to it. And he stated that every time you looked at it, it was different. Kind of like those cars that have that paint job that reflects differently at different points as you move around it. He reported it was similar uh, in view to that. Uh, he said that there was one light on the craft, and he said that there was a there was this bass sound to the to the craft that it was giving off, like a bass amp that needed to be turned off, but that was quite loud, and that the sound did go off, and when it went off, it was noticeable, and and made every everything silent in the area. He reported that the craft had large vents in the back of the craft, like a fish gill. And his drawings were kind of cool because it kind of reminded me of uh, the Back to the Future DeLorean with the uh, the two exhaust uh, exhaust pieces on the top of the back of the DeLorean. So it was kind of cool to see uh, his drawings. Um, and I'll hopefully be able to give you a link to the video later so you can watch it for yourself. So you can see half of the craft, and it was buried into the mountainside. And we have the syrupy substance coming down. Now he also reported there were three holes in the ship. Uh, two of them were closed, um, kind of like hatches. He reported, and one was one hatch had been open. Now he couldn't see inside because the way that the sunlight was shining, it created a shadow directly into that that open hatch. So he couldn't see anything. It was completely black. He did, however, feel a presence. He reported that it was strange and that he felt the creatures were communicating with him telepathically uh, and asking for his help to get out and to, to be uh, safe. And He reported that they stated that they were not a, a threat, that they, that they were not going to hurt anyone. Um, he reported that that feeling was terrible. He felt terrible for them. He said he also felt that the communication was terrible. It was like a loud white noise, and he was unsure as to why it was there. <clears throat> uh, going back to reporting about how the craft looked, 
he reported that it was it was not smooth. It was very organic, like art, uh, like someone had put this craft together in a shop. Uh, that it was handmade. That it looked handmade. Uh, he reported that it wasn't like titanium, even though it looked like it could be metal, or it, that it was metal. Uh, he reported it did not have a reflection, and he felt like it should have reflected. Um, even if it was painted, uh, he felt like if he flashed a flashlight light down on top of the craft that it wouldn't have reflected at all. He reported that the, that the composition was very bizarre. Uh, he reports that um, his commanding officer began yelling at him to get back up to the reception point uh, where they had come in with the Humvees. So he began to hoof it back up this cliff, back up to where uh, where they were located. And once he got up there, he he saw all these Department of Energy folks uh, up there, guys and uh, also in masks, full hazmat suits, uh, stomping in in lockstep. He reported that these these men. These, uh, whoever these guys were, they had done this before. They were specifically trained for this operation, that this was just standard operating procedure, just like going to the store every day, uh, that these guys had done this before. Uh, it wasn't their first rodeo. He stated that once he got up to the top, that guys in black camis with no name tags kidnapped him uh, and put him on a cot and cuffed him with both hands and both legs cuffed together uh, and took him in a helicopter uh, away from the scene, away, uh, not with his two other sergeants, uh, completely isolated, uh, and then began to, to yell at him and become verbally aggressive. They were telling him that he was a dumb asshole, quote-unquote, uh, that he wasn't supposed to see this, that they would kill him and leave him out in the jungle and that no one would ever find him. Uh, and he said that they made him sign papers, uh, like non-disclosure agreements, uh, and to say that this situation never happened, and that if he ever had told anyone, that he would just come up missing. Uh, he was brought back to the same location uh, where, he, where he left from, uh, but in a different part of the installation. Uh, he stated that there was different nationalities at this portion of the base. Chinese and other uh, nationalities were uh, at this base representing their countries. Um, they had their, their flags on their own uh, uniforms. Uh, he stated that he was interrogated for 15 hours and they put a light in his face uh, and asked him what he saw at the crash site. They said, what did you see? They asked him if he was a patriot and that if he liked the Constitution. He said, well, we don't, that the guys that were interviewing him stated that they don't follow the Constitution. They stated that we will, quote unquote, do you and your whole goddamn family in a very gruff and verbally aggressive manner. He reported that they did not physically attack him, uh, but that the, the aggressiveness was, was plenty enough. Uh, to scare Jonathan. Uh, so fast forward, go, he was brought back to the States. And once he returned home, <clears throat> he went to Sergeant Allen's house. 
uh, he wanted to talk to him and hang out and talk to him about this event. I guess uh, apparently he hadn't been able to speak with him in Peru at all. And once they got back home, he was able to go to Sergeant Allen's on-base housing and wanted to get his perspective on it. Well, Sergeant Allen became so upset that he threw Jonathan Wagant out of his house, stating that he did not want to talk about it. He stated that the Marine Corps is monolithic and that if you don't want to go along with it, that they will railroad you. And that's what he felt like happened to Sergeant Allen and Sergeant Atkins. Uh, going back to the crash site, uh, Jonathan reported that it looked like the aircraft had been hit with a surface-to-air missile, possibly. He reported that there were Hawk uh, batteries uh, in the area that were able to shoot uh, missiles that would uh, target uh, their target all the way uh, as close as possible and then explode a highly explosive fragmentation warhead when it was close enough to the area and when it explodes it explodes like a shotgun in the vicinity and takes its target down that way and that it doesn't have to directly hit its target it can just explode in the vicinity and, and cause enough damage to take the aircraft down. Uh, he reports that he believes the Peruvians shot it down, but he's not 100% sure. Um, but while he was doing security uh, on the base, a couple of women had walked out while he was doing security, and they were doing the radar monitoring and discussed air, aircraft flying in and out of the atmosphere at Mach 10+. plus. He, he reported that it was not one of ours uh, because in Stinger School, uh, the school where he learned weaponry, they taught him about every kind of aircraft there is and that this certainly was not one of them. Uh, he reported that while he was on shift, and this is a little bit one, a little bit one of the more bizarre portions of the story, uh, well, and the whole story has some bizarre portions, but uh, he reported that an officer came in and wanted the logbooks and that he had to sign off on them for the officer to take them. Uh, the ships were coming in and stopping on a dime, and this was reported in the logbooks, and this happened three or four times while he was on duty, and he believed, Jonathan believes that the officer came to take those logbooks so that no one else could have any eyes on them. He believes that the bases were just a cover as far as the drug trafficking was concerned, that they were not there to do any drug trafficking operations at all. He did not see any of that. All he saw was a, a lot of different types of technology that they did not have at any other bases um, that would rise up out of out of nowhere and and be seen but then go back um, back into the floor back into the wall um, so that they were not able to be seen um, he reported that he these agencies work at, uh, as rogue agencies that they don't obey the rules especially when he was taken in that helicopter that they didn't care about any rules, any constitutional rights, any civil rights, any military rights. 
I mean, these guys were talking about killing him and leaving him in the desert. I mean, when you sign up for the military, you're signing up to protect your country, for pride in your country, to do the job you're supposed to do, and to protect those that you love. And when you go to do your job with pride and honor, and you're taken away by nameless, black, camied individuals screaming at you for doing your job, that seems a little bit bizarre. Uh, and it seems to be that these guys are rogue, that they, they're they not obeying any type of military uh, orders, that they're they're operating on their own orders. Um, so I hope you enjoyed that story. Um, that's that's pretty much the end of it. Uh, if you are interested, I'm going to try to leave uh, the uh, link in the description so that you're able to see it. Uh, if I'm not able to do that, you can look up UFO crash in Peru, Lance Corporal, Jonathan Wagant's testimony, W-E-Y-G-A-N-D-T. And when you see his testimony, you'll realize, and you'll see, this guy is not lying. This guy is telling 100% the truth. His micro-expressions are, are right on. Um, I've studied psychology. I have degrees in psychology. Uh, I've worked with many individuals uh, in, in different fields. This guy is 100% telling the truth. Um, you can judge it for yourself, but he believes in what he saw. He reports it, he reports it as honestly as he can, and uh, it's one of my favorite interviews and experiences ever, and it definitely makes me believe that uh, there is something out there that, that we don't know about for sure. Uh, so until next time, I appreciate you guys coming along for the ride, and uh, keep your eyes on the skies, and we'll be back for more uh, Lockdown Universe. Take care.